Two weeks ago, we started an examination of a very familiar and probably very dear text of Scripture, um, often called the story of the prodigal son. And even many non-believers know the story. A boy takes his inheritance before his father even died. And I was actually listening to a sermon this past week from someone else on this story, and he makes the really interesting point. In essence, this boy is saying to his father, I wish you were dead, because I want the inheritance. Life would be better off if you were just dead. Just give me what's coming to me. This boy takes a journey to a far country. He uses his money on stupid, unproductive things until he's poor, uh, working at a pig farm and uh, feeding them food. We're expecting that as Jesus tells the story, he's talking about a Jewish family, so even in this man's destitution, he's still sinning by working around pigs, unclean animals. And it's when this man is literally on the verge of wanting to at least eat what the pigs eat, that he comes to his senses and says, you know, I don't know how things will be with Dad. Even if Dad's hired servants, though, are in better circumstances than I am. So I'll go back and ask Dad if he can at least forgive me enough to take me in as a hired servant. The day comes that all of you, if you have gospel-saturated, Jesus-loving hearts, this is a day that you pray and hope for, if you have a prodigal. The reunion, the boy comes, he expresses genuine repentance, realizing that not only has he sinned against his dad, but he sinned against God. The father expresses complete joy. He declares in Luke 15:24, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And you've been following all of Luke 15, reading all three parables in that chapter. This is how it should end, right? First parable, we, we lose a sheep, we find the sheep, we celebrate. Second parable, we lose a coin, we find the coin, we celebrate. Third parable, we lose a son, we find the son, and we celebrate, but something's different in this parable. We're not done yet. Uh, When we, in fact, find that there is still another prodigal son, and he's never left home. Stand with me and read with me, if you don't mind. Luke 15, verses 25 through 32. Jesus says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. The servant said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. He said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost. And is found. Let's go ahead and pray. 
Father, we just sang, search me and try me. And you have searched and tried my heart. And I have always been wanting. Father, I ask for your forgiveness for the sins that I have committed. Father, I have a fear that what you will say today will go will clash against hard hearts. Because we see in your word that the sins that are being brought up here are the sins that led to your crucifixion. Sins of pride and self-righteousness. And sins of feeling like we don't need you because we can save ourselves. So I have a fear that these words are going to hit some hard hearts and people will walk away today unchanged. I pray that that is not the case. I pray that your Holy Spirit will have prepared hearts and ears and eyes to receive this word. And I pray that you would have complete authority over the things that happen. And I pray that each and every person in this room would be changed. And those who may not be saved would be saved. And you can do that. It's in your power. Father, give us willing and obedient hearts. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We Christians have a lot of those sayings that to me began to sound like nails on a chalkboard, like I've heard it enough. But this is true. The church is not the building, but the people. We realize this, that you and I could travel to Hogsback on a Sunday morning and congregate, and there Woodland Friends Church would be doing church together. And what is sad to me is that some of us might come to this building on a Sunday morning, sit through a service, and be lost. You and I could talk to everyone here, but still be missing something, missing someone. If you ever understood and if you've ever seen a close family, or maybe if you've been in school, a close clique of friends, a close community, you know what I'm talking about. Personally, I've been blessed with a very close immediate family growing up, and it's been torture in some ways to, to see my siblings start moving away. I don't blame them. But I think about whenever we come together in all the same room, we have that same communal tight-knit bond. I'm an introvert, and I have that selection of a few close friends. And whenever we're together, I'm sure that if any were to come up to, to me and my family or me and my friends, if they don't know us well, they feel like they're on the outside looking in. Same with, with families or, or unfamiliar faces around close families. They can feel like the outside looking in. Woodland Friends Church, I've told some of you, I feel like as a church of outsiders. <laughs> Uh, I'm grateful and appreciative of the, the Quaker heritage of the church, but, but most importantly, I'm grateful for the Quakers who opened up their doors to the family of Christ and said, you love Christ, I love Christ, we're family. Let's do what Jesus says and love each other because we're family. Some well-meaning Christians can grow callous and come to that point of being the outsider again, looking in. And we see that it's not because they are unfamiliar with the people, or the, but that they are unfamiliar or have grown unfamiliar with the heart and the mission of the Father. We see this in our passage today, verses 25 through 28 
says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to them, said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fat calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to grow, go in. And I want to stop right here in the middle of verse 28. We come across this man, and we want to give him merit badges, right? He's out working in the field. Hard worker. I like this man. He belongs in Woodland. He's coming home late, right? Sweat dripping off his brow. He's probably a little bit put aside, though, because as he draws near the house, he says, it's not Christmas, but we're having a party. Uh, Nobody came out to get me. I want to be involved. What's happening? We understand the confusion about this party can already be a breeding ground for resentment. So what does he do? Nobody, what does he do? He goes inside and he finds out what's happening for himself. No, he doesn't. He shrugs and <clears throat> goes on about his business, whether it be going about <clears throat> back into the field or into the house to clean himself off and join the party. No, he doesn't. We see in verse 26 that he takes another servant to see what is happening. I want to back out for a second and make the connections for you in this parable to the people talking to Jesus, plain and simple, in case if you have forgotten. If you have a Bible in front of you, Luke 15, verses 1 through 3, tells us that A, Jesus is receiving sinners and tax collectors. B, he's having a debate about his accepting said persons with the religious people, who are Pharisees and scribes, This debate centers on two groups of people. See, the sinners, and what Jesus and Luke are calling, quote, the righteous. Sinners reflect the first group, sinners and tax collectors. And the so-called righteous are then the Pharisees and scribes. In this parable of the prodigal sons, I cannot help but make mention of the two prodigals. The man who went away and squandered his wealth on himself is the sinner. And thus, the man that we're looking at right now is the so-called righteous, right? He's the guy who stayed home. He's been a yes man to his dad. He's done everything right. But building underneath this righteous facade has been something very, very wrong. It has been labels. It has been an us versus them mentality that's been building up. Not a we want them back. What, which is what the Father's heart is. Friends, do you have an us and them, us versus them mentality? Some of you might think this language sounds a bit too compromising because you think that maybe what I'm preaching is a simple let's let love win over conviction and truth. And that's not what I'm saying at all. I don't buy the world's form of love, which is just to accept everything about everyone without conviction and celebrate everyone for all that they do. Whatever that sort of love is, it looks a lot like nothing, because nothing accepts everyone for everything, and nothing holds no convictions. I'm against that nothingness that people call love, but I'm also against us versus them. What I am for is the kind of love that the Father has. It's a love that redeems. It's a love that is powerful. It's a love that absorbs and kills sin and redeems sinners from sin. 
Some of us, myself included, need to graduate to that kind of love. Some of us are stuck back in us versus them, like this man right here. Here's what the servant describes. Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. What could be better than this? We need to hear this, religious people. How dare the religious mindset that says, what could be better if that son never came back at all? Or, if that son came back, he has a lot of explaining and trust-building and second-class grunt work to regain my confidence. Meanwhile, the father accepts this brother and kills the fattened calf. Why? Because the prodigal sinner has paid him back all of his property? (laughs) Because the the prodigal sinner groveled at his father's feet for days on end? Because the, the prodigal sinner maybe even promised to begin to rebuild to pay him back? If you look at verses 21 through 24 again, realize that the father does not even respond to his son's pleas of forgiveness, but just with action, the father immediately plans the party. The forgiveness is evident. It's not even voiced. It's it's implied with strong actions of love and celebration. Just like when Jesus dies on the cross, sure he said words, but you know just by looking at it, you're forgiven. The son is now safe in the Father's house. He's in the protection of the Father's house. Some of you need to know this, that if you're part of this community, and by that I mean if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and if you are in a continual, strong relationship with Him, practicing your faith actively with Him and with His body, you are safe. You can be vulnerable in this community because you will be loved by God and by his people. You are safe. Psalm 91, such a great psalm. I'll only read a few verses. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. I also want to connect to what Paul says in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, Paul says, And he, that is Jesus, came came and preached peace to you who were far off, the Gentiles, the sinful people, and peace to those who are near. The Jews, all Jews, Jesus is preaching peace to, both Jews who accept him and Jews like these Pharisees and religious people who may reject him. Nevertheless, the whole point of our parable today is an opportunity for Jesus' hearers to accept conviction and repent. Paul continues, verse 18, For through him, that is Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Friends, the church is safe. All people are invited to come 
to accept Jesus and do the will of the Father and be in the community of safety. The prodigal in our text comes back to the safety of his father's house, safety from the world, safety from his own sins where he squandered his wealth, into the safety from evil influences, safety where his father dwells. And he is sound, says the servant to the religious brother in Luke 15, 27. Spiritually and physically, in the father's house, this prodigal sinner is sound. I want to make mention to you, though, that this phrase, safe and sound, is actually a translation of one word in the original language. Most of the um, translators that are read today break up this one word. It is the Greek word where we get our word hygiene. (laughs) The point being is that in the body of Christ is where all sinners become healthy. Don't hear me wrong. Jesus does the healing. It is a true, if it is a true body of Christ, it will be spiritually healthy and physically healthy, working holistically. That's a very important identifier on a body of believers. It is, if it is a true body of Christ. Not only are there prodigal family members, but there are a lot of prodigal congregations. I want to give you a quick illustration from an article I read this past week. I should tell you right now it's not a Christian magazine. However, it was about a church. I read an article in which one particular church was scratching their heads, wondering why their attendance was down, and how could they do better at being more relevant and outreaching to the community. The article reads a quote from a congregant of this church and says, It had become obvious that the church wasn't growing or going anywhere. It was just being, and what it was being was a church. And so the article lays out some things they did, none of which have to do with gospel work. And uh, last of which, the article reads about a free community dinner that they do monthly, stating there's no prayer, there's no religious component at all, just a community breaking bread together. (laughs) In fact, the church started using the name Village Meeting House, which I should mention this particular church was never a Quaker meeting house, so don't confuse that. My point is, is... Here is a picture of a prodigal church. When it seeks to grow, it seeks to patch up their spiritual issues with worldly corrections. Almost as if it is ashamed of the central tenet of the gospel. That is Jesus Christ crucified for sinners. And he through the Holy Spirit available for the redemption of souls. And what's sad to me is that here is an article about a building with access to many souls. And they are prodigal, not holistic. And their church building and their church community is not safe from the world, and it's not sound. A building that is supposed to symbolize the community of God inside is also a community of prodigals. The prodigal sinner returns home to his father. And to be at home with the father is to be safe and sound. To be at home with God the true father is to be in a community that is safe from the world and sound in its doctrine. Friends, that is something that you and I need to pray for our church and for other churches and for your prodigals to return home to. What is our hearts for prodigals? Do you want them to be safe and sound? A good way to judge your heart about this is to take stock of the emotions that just ran through your heart as you heard about this church in the article I just mentioned. I have fears that our attitudes often might be, might be like the prodigal saint. 
verse 26, excuse me, 28, but this prodigal saint was angry and refused to go in. Why? Why, when this brother hears that his prodigal son is home, that he's safe and he's sound and he's returned and he's restored, and it is here is the heart of Jesus. And in here, the heart of Jesus is, excuse me, here is a character in Jesus' story that is angry and refuses to go in because the father is dining with what the prodigal saint considers to be unredeemable. The saint cannot see past the sinner part. And perhaps the best hope and the only hope that you and I, if we struggle with this sin, is the latter part of verse 28. His father came out and entreated him. I want you to take note of a big difference here. Jesus says that he comes for the sick and not for the healthy. And that is true. But I love the fact that in this parable, the prodigal sinner comes home to the waiting father, and yes, the waiting father runs out to meet the prodigal sinner. But here, we see the prodigal saint merely express anger, and perhaps we're supposed to assume that the servant went and told his father. But the father comes out to meet with the angry prodigal saint while he's still in the middle of his prodigalness, if I can use that word. If he's still angry. <clears throat> the father meets us where we're at. Do we have open ears? The father is entreating the prodigal saint, come inside, what are you doing out here blowing smoke? What's the big problem? There's more than enough food. The saint responds and reveals in his response that he's not so saintly. Verse 29 says, but he answered his father. Look, doesn't even say father. Look, dad, (laughs) these many years I have served you. And I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Perhaps the most important word in there is only implied in the original language, and that is the word yet. This is the heart of the sinfulness, the prodigalness of of the so-called righteous, of the so-called saints. Yet, entitlement. This is why Jesus spent much breath with the religious people, and it is so pervasive in Christian circles too. Entitlement. I put my hours in, I deserve what's coming to me. Right? He continues. But when this son, notice he doesn't even say, when my brother, he wants to distance himself from that evil brother of his, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fat and calf for him. Though it comes out of the mouth of a stuck-up, self-righteous, misguided religious person just like me, (laughs) do not miss the beauty of this verse. Because this verse is the gospel. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf on him. Isn't that beautiful? This is why it's called good news. It's the gospel. It is unfair. It is scandalous. It is a horrific exchange that is altogether beautiful when you're on the receiving end. God made the world and everything in it. It's all his. The hills are his. The fields are his. The animals his. The people are his. And what have you done to squander all that is his? 
And I pray that you and all your prodigals come to your senses and come to God and say, here's what I have. I've misused what you've given me. I've abused it. I've made a wreck of my life. And that's all I got. Does that get me in? And God says, you've come to me. You're home. I've been waiting and I want you. And it is from that place of love and acceptance and the embrace of the father to the guilty son and the killing of the fattened calf, just as Jesus Christ is our sacrificial lamb. It's definitely time to party. (laughs) The gospel is a beautiful story. Never forget it. Savor it. Love it. Cherish it. It can be easy for a guy like me, a Christian from the proverbial womb, to become religious. It can be easy for anybody who's been a Christian for a relatively long time to become religious and self-righteous. How does that happen, you might ask? Don't you love it, farmers, when new people move in and they're going to farm and garden? And you watch them make all the mistakes you made? Yet they're too stubborn, too proud, too ignorant to ask you for help. So what do you do? I wonder if you get religious about your farming and gardening instead of being compassionate, loving, and relational. But when this son of yours came, the prodigal says to the father, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Right? Don't tell me that you've just freely given to that guy while here I've been. (laughs) And what that means is if this is how you reason, it means that you and I do not understand the gospel. It has been freely given to us. Your work means jack. Your obedience and your service does not impress God. You and I were born in his house. We were his all along. The waiting father responds, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. What are you so concerned about? What am I so concerned about being religious, right? Jesus eats with sinners and tax collectors. What's your point? (laughs) What are you upset at? And hear this, friends. For the self-religious person, you, we, we're not upset that Jesus dines with sinners and tax collectors because we're afraid that the sinners will rub off on Jesus. We're not upset because we want an audience with Jesus. We are upset because we want an admirer out of Jesus. Do you see the evil pride in that? We want rewards from Jesus. We just don't want Jesus to to say, well done, good and faithful servant. We really want Jesus to say, wow, you're so holy. I never thought of that. I'm so glad you caught that. Let me get a pad and pen out and take notes on your holiness. But we religious people were bought the same way sinners are, off the ripped flesh and shed blood of God in the flesh. And if religious people think that it is God's desire to have a community that flatters itself with how holy it is, Jesus sets the record straight when he finishes this parable the same way he finished the first two parables. He says, It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Jesus ends his parable very similar with the rest of his other parables. The lost sheep is found. 
We see in Luke 15, 6 and 7, And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who don't, who need no repentance. The lost coin is found, and Jesus says, when she found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And I think the point is, Jesus is talking to these religious people, and he says, Can I not make myself any more clearer? I'm talking about people now. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad. Can we say that together? It is fitting to celebrate and be glad. Can I just say, and I know this very well, because I'm a religious person, we have a tendency to throw pity parties for ourselves and others for all the sinfulness that human beings do, and we brood. And let me tell you what that stems from. Self-introspection. God calls together a redeemed people that focuses on Him, not themselves. They come together for joy in the Lord and not self-pity in ourselves. They celebrate because Jesus finds lost people. They don't moan and groan because sinners sin. That's a given. That's to be expected. Now, don't hear me wrong. There is a place and a time to humble ourselves and feel remorse for our sin. But religious people have a tendency to not move beyond that point. <laughs> Whether it be with themselves or with other people like this prodigal saint is with his prodigal brother. A holy, righteous, good, and just God who instead of doing what is, his, what is his fair prerogative, that is to be done with sinners and condemn them to their just inheritance of hell, for him to instead come down and be with us and search for lost souls and redeem them from the fiery pits of hell and restore them to an inheritance and a communion with this said God. Can we not celebrate that? Can we not consume our souls with the joy and the hope and the grace Found in that, can we never get excited for that? And no one, no Christian from the womb, no veteran Christian who knows their Bible frontwards, backwards, and in the original language, has one tiny ounce of credibility or any right to even suggest distaste for who would be saved by God. You are my friends if you love one another, not judge one another. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. If that's not abundantly clear, Jesus has just given three parables to let these religious people know. You are the most sinful of all of these. You are also not you are not the righteous, but the sinner. You are among the sick, not the healthy. Why? Because these so-called righteous people here work for a God they don't, under, don't even understand the mission and the heart of. God's mission in his heart is to save, not to be given a service and hand out a reward. God is a redeemer, not a rewarder. 
That is why, and I prayed what I prayed at the beginning, if there are any religious people, any prodigal saints in here like me, I truly fear for you. I fear that it won't get through our thick skulls because it is very thick. I fear that we will have heard this and will think slightly, well, I'll take the fish, I'll keep the meat and spit out the bones, but boy, that person across the room, they better have been paying very close attention. I fear that that little self-righteous attorney will rise up in your heart making a case that God could not be convicting you here. And I desperately pray that God in his almighty justice and righteousness and holiness breaks down any form of self-righteous sufficiency in you with the truth that among all the sinners here, you are the one in most desperate need of my grace because you think you can attain my kingdom without it. You cannot attain it. God is not, nor will he ever be, nor does he want to be impressed by your words. God wants to save you because you desperately need it. And it is here that Jesus ends his parable. We do not know what happens to the prodigal saint. Does, did he accept the entreating of his father? Did he join the prodigal sinner inside? Or did he walk away in self-righteous judgment? Jesus ended this parable here because it was a direct call to repentance for his listeners in Luke 15. So I will end with the heart of our father. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Father, by bringing me to this passage, you beckoned me to preach on things that your original hearers did not repent of. That is a weighty task. I trust your Holy Spirit to reach out to those who would repent. I pray that each and every person here is within that group. Father, I don't know hearts, only you know hearts. Father, if there are still any one of us wrestling with, I, I'm not that religious person. But deep down, your Holy Spirit in a small voice tells us that we are. Father, move us further so that we might repent, because this is a very dangerous sin to cling to. Your Son died for us, and we're neglecting that. Holy Spirit, break our hearts and humble us, but then move us into the joy to see lost sinners found. Move us into the joy that your gospel gives. Because it is a beautiful story. Father, I pray that all of us would walk away changed today. It would change us so much that we reach out to our neighbors and other people who need the gospel just as much as we do because we're all brothers. We thank you, Father, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.